and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore 40k, a lore podcast in which we aim to separate our Ducari from our Dark Angels, our Tyranids from our Tau, and our Craft Worlds from our Chaos Marines, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer 40k stuff? My name is Ben Quinn Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about 40k. With me is my co-host Christopher Crowan Allen, Yo ho ho! Who knows absolutely fuck all about 40k. Absolutely fuck all. And my dear brother Darren. Ho yo yo! Who knows so much about 40k it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. Over the years this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. <clears throat> Get your own greeting, Darren. Pardon me? Get your own greeting, verting mine. Pish. Scoff. All right. Pa. Learn your own 40k ha. lore. Okay. <laughs> See ya. All right. <laughs> Crowd's doing this episode. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was 1k. And there was 1k. 1k <laughs> met 2k and made 3k. <laughs> and so on and so on and so on until 40k. <laughs> Now, we all know that you were paying attention last week, Kral, and that you could do a much better job than that. So let's test that theory. Oh, yeah, because I said I was going to quiz you in retaliation for quizzing me. However, the funny thing is, in true Kral style, I can barely remember anything from episode two. for fuck's sake, man. You had one job. You had one job. Right, okay. Speaking of one job... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> look who it isn't yeah. literally in the middle of recording my flatmate walks in Jesus Christ you, I told you that yesterday she came ben, on to I wish you'd use the toilet brush <laughs> <laughs> after you've used the toilet uh, <laughs> anyway right well I guess I've got to test you then you useless test me fucker. Go then. right okay so Last, if I can remember. <laughs> so last month, Dar took us through the editions. So I think he took us through the first two editions. Can you remember what? No, the first I'm going to challenge that. Called? I thought the main event. It was actually the second and third edition. Those were the big cojones. That was kind of no, the main event. You were right. Firstly, Darren, correct or wrong? Pardon me. Was that right or wrong? Did we cover the first and second or second and third? You are, you are 50% month? correct, Crowd. Okay, excellent. I'll take it. We did indeed <laughs> cover the second edition. But my, my point was there were two main editions which yes. kind of eclipsed everything else or made the most kind of meaningful difference, improvements to the game, which, which, which is still around today. And that was the second and third edition. Those were the two big ones. Or Am I right or am I wrong? You are technically correct, but we did not cover the third edition. Ah, we will, and it was significant. So, ergo, I get future You're points. Still okay, wrong. Fine. Yes, okay. well done, mate. Okay, you can have future points. All right. So, what was the first edition uh, called? Wow, well, wow, <laughs> wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Warhammer Forty K First Edition. Oh, that's my other podcast. <laughs> uh, no, it was called. It was called Forty K, but it had another name as well. Hamster this is the first dish. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. It was Rogue Trader. Ah, yes. Yes. And yeah, can yeah. you tell us, Ben, what a Rogue Trader was and now is? <laughs> 
counted. Oh, listeners, if you could see his expression right now. If I could reach through a screen and slap somebody, I would. Um, a rogue traitor Let me is... Do it for you. It's an imperial citizen who is kind of was was pesky and they kind of got rid of him or her by giving them kind of special a special charter to be uh, a trader and they get to have like their own kind of entourage and like little mini army and a fleet and then they just and fuck theme off. music and theme music <laughs> <laughs> and a kind of 24 7 band that yeah. just play that same song and they just play the same song over and over again like, and we're taking requests um <laughs> and they send them out to like the frontiers of like human territory and then they, is that right that's what it was but what did it become they are now merchant princes awkward silence <laughs> i don't know was that address me Yes, yes, yeah. they are now merchant princes. Okay. Cool. Okay, well done, Crow. You can have a point for that. Who do almost exactly everything Ben described, yeah. but the origin is different. Okay. Right, okay. Okay, okay cool. Do you remember, Crow, what, why it was called Rogue Trader? What was it based on? Was it based on a board game before Rogue Trader called Laser Blaster or something? Blasting lasers or... Something like that. No, was that, that was definitely a thing. That was okay. that was definitely a thing, but I, I don't think it was what it was based on. Was Rogue Trader a, a board game originally, Darren? No. Okay, all right. This is good. Excellent. I'm going to give you a clue. Mm-hmm. Smurfs. Mm. Okay, mm. I see the direction you're heading in. You're so wrong, it's made my pee hole slam shut. <laughs> What I thought that Rogue, so Games Workshop got the license to create a game from Rogue Trooper, and they were going to call it Rogue Trooper, and then they decided that, that it was too close to home, so they changed the name to Rogue Trader. Is that wrong? How are you even able to wash yourself? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's so wrong. The, uh, Rick Priestley designed a game called Rogue Trader, or or the working title was Rogue Trader. Yeah, that's right. what Ben and I just Tangen- said. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually what you said. I didn't say that at all. I think I said you were wrong. <laughs> Coincidentally, or concurrently, or other things that mean roughly the same thing, the um, the company got the license to produce games based on 2000 AD properties, one of yeah. which is Rogue Trooper. Yeah. So they feared uh, a, an IP overlap, so they changed the the 40k game from being only rogue trader to being warhammer 40k rogue trader oh i see so it wasn't going to be called rogue trooper to begin with and then they changed the trader they just added that 40k on to make it sound different yep okay it's pretty much what i said there you go okay i'll give myself a point for that um second edition then crowl what was the what was the main thing released in the second edition was it the ability to make your own vehicles and um, essentially kit bash that stuff? That was one of the abilities. Out of which came the legendary... Yeah, can you give us an example? No, no, no. It wasn't one of the things you could do in Darren, second edition. That was in down. first edition, you gobshite. Ben and I have got this. Ben and I have got this. <laughs> yeah, we've got this, Dad. Don't oh, you worry. Oh, okay. my God. <laughs> this is meant to be an informative 40K podcast. Let's inform our listeners. 
<laughs> I mean, we're, we are very open and big about mental health, and this is just sending me spiraling. I think before, okay, in all seriousness, maybe we should let Darren summarize very quickly for us before we start misleading. No, 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 Crow, we've got this. We've got this. Okay, <laughs> you've got. We'll this, finish this, me. and then if it if it's a train wreck, then Dark can do next episode, right? Yeah. Okay. If big if. Big if. What was yeah. the main thing that was developed in the second? Uh, second was it edition? was okay? If it wasn't that, was it the uh, Adeptus Titanicus? No, it was just it, in general the car- like the races. Oh, like right, it, okay. it kind of. Oh, it, everyone had their own codex. Exactly. It made. Is that right? Is that right, though? They, they all had. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's losing his shit over there. <laughs> 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 I'm so angry, I'm now tugging on my genitals. (laughs) That's a very strange response to anger. (laughs) Yeah, so the the races were more defiant. They weren't just... In the first edition, I think it was adaptations of fantasy figures that you could kind of kitbash and make space figures. And then the second edition was actually more defined races and their own rule books yes no kind of okay um iron out the kinks there dar iron I, out the kinks there aren't enough irons in the world because um, <laughs> that was real kinky <laughs> that was real kinky and not in a fun way um yeah. kind of like your hair today <laughs> what's wrong with my hair you look like a, an advert for mcdonald's it's like a massive m no, what has happened is I've looked like I've just listened to the last 10 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> Hair raising. <laughs> so first edition was a real kind of wild west in terms of the lore. Really what we're talking about here is the lore, because otherwise we picked a terrible name for the podcast. Um, <laughs> the races were translated from fantasy. There was some re-sculpting of various bits uh, and then, no, not Slanesh, and then <laughs> the new factions were added in. But it was very much in media res. You joined it in the middle of the setting existing. The history, the lore was very ill-defined. Or no, ill-defined is wrong. It was very loose. It was loosey-goosey. Minimally. Minimally. And you could draw direct lines from the setting to books like Frank Herbert's Dune, uh, mm. to the Michael Moorcock books, to the Foundation series. The, the inspirations were, were fairly self-evident. In the second edition, really following on from supplements like the Realms of Chaos, the two Realms of Chaos books, the Orc books, and the continuous development process that was carried out within White Dwarf with constant updates and new articles and new factions, new rules, that kind of idea. Uh, I've completely forgotten where I was going with this. And then? And then? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so second edition pulled all of that together to create a a kind of cohesive whole Uh, in terms of an origin for all of the factions yeah the kind of thousands of years of history for each faction the horus heresy was brought into sharper focus as the defining event within the imperium i remember it all when he says it i remember it all when he says Mm. it it's (laughs) just it's Mm. not there okay 
And so the entire setting then was encapsulated within the 10 codexes that were released for the second edition. Codices. So before that, there were no uh, faction-specific books. Right. Okay. There was one army list book, which you needed a degree in physics to understand, uh, <laughs> called the Book of the Astronomicon, which is a great book. It's a fantastic book. But yeah, it's... Um, it's definitely of its time. But not not one that Crowl or I should read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, as punishment. Maybe. <laughs> well, I feel like this quiz has been an absolute train wreck. So maybe next mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. next month, here's an idea. Dar, you test both of us and we'll score it. We'll do a pop quiz. I can really have something now to look forward to, do you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I've got one last question for Chris, and I'm I'm confident that you're going to get this, mate. Can you name Go. some of the orc tribes? <sighs> I mean, come on. I, I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> Pish. Right, right. Um, I mean, they're obviously, the snake bite tribe. The pillow biters. The pillow biters, yeah. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. They were definitely your fave, weren't they? Mm-hmm. That's about it. <laughs> and then there were the other was, guys. Right? There was just one tribe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Goths, the Evil Sons, the Bad Moons, the Death Skulls, the Blood Axes, and the Snake Bites. Those are the six main. You're just showing off now. Yeah. You're just showboating. <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to judge myself up without tugging on my genitals. <laughs> okay. So, seventh edition today, then, yeah? Uh, it will be covered, yes. Wow. Nice try. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I, was, I was joking. <laughs> I was joking. This is going to be a long episode. Shit. <laughs> no, it, instead of diving into the kind of minutiae of each faction's lore per edition, what I thought we'd do is we'd uh, round out the substantive changes that were brought about in the second and third editions and then just go through at a higher level some of the changes made in 4th through ninth editions. The view is to, this is like a r- real table of contents for uh, gotcha. the next uh, yeah. the next nine episodes where we'll cover uh, at a, still a very high level the kind of background setting, the background context mm. for each of the remaining factions. So I, I have to say I th- I, uh, I'm excited about that as a process because... I think one of the things that we discussed before is like it's so you know starting this is like drinking from a fire hydrant, isn't it? It's just yeah, it's, it's so ju- vast. Where do you start? Where do yeah. you where do you pick a start? But I like I like the idea of kind of approaching it chronologically from a development perspective, yeah. which obviously then informs the 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 lore approach as well. That's cool, man. Yeah, I'm here for it. So is Kral. Yay. <clears throat> well, if you'd stop talking, I'll get on with it. Sorry, what? <laughs> all right i'll shut so uh, last episode closed out with second edition where the vast majority of the foundational lore for the factions and the the wider setting was uh, established so everything else then tends to incorporate those aspects third edition was really a reorganization of how the game was played. It for sure drove the lore forward a little, but it was mostly about uh, throwing structure around army selection and uh, forced deployment. 
it introduced something called the Force Organization Chart, which still exists to this day within the various editions. So the armies were split up into, oh, wait, I can't count, five main sections. So you had your headquarters, which were your commanders and various leaders. You had your elite troops. These are the special forces of the various factions. You had your troops, which were referred to as like the battle lane troops. So these are the the bog standard units, the ones that are most commonly available. You had fast attack units, which were your assault troops. These are the guys with jump packs or ones that have wings or are able to be mounted in vehicles and get to the front lines really quickly. And then finally, at at this stage, you had your heavy support troops. So these are the heavy weapons units and tanks. Right. That was a good joke. Go fuck yourselves. Uh, uh, Oh, yeah, tanks. (laughs) Just cut it. Yeah, just just cut it out. Just cut it out. (laughs) In terms of lore development... Third edition introduced two new complete races, or sorry, three new complete races. Ooh, ooh! It it brought into the kind of background and lore the Dark Eldar. So these are the Cenobite style Eldar that live in the Webway, mm. live in a city called Kamora, which is, as I described last episode, a city that is spread completely across the galaxy but is joined together by little kind of magical arches that you can walk through so it's a if you walk through it it appears to be a single city but isn't but it ain't you're going oh but it is you're going from various bits of the galaxy to other bits of the galaxy and do each of those bits have kind of access points into the corporeal universe yes right okay yeah Is it considered part of the webway? Sorry, did you say the Kimura? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two questions. You said the Dark Elves are Xenobite. Do they look like monstrosities then? Or do they look like you might picture a dark elf slash Eldar to look like? Yeah, it's really kind of... The Xenobites may be over-egging the pudding. They're really just S&M Eldar. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. So So just like tight leather... Yeah. Like revealing evil spandex. I didn't think there was any other kind of spandex, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Evil spandex. Yeah, without getting into it too heavily, they do have three kind of broad cultural sub-factions. One is Cenobite. Those are the kind of flesh sculptors, uh, the homunculus. You do have the witches, which are the kind of gladiators, almost all female. And then you have evil, sadistic, armored foot troops. Wow. There's other factions in there that we'll cover in, in due course. But yes, they, they're more S&M elves than Cenobite elves. Kinky. Although it does mm. contain both of those things. The other factions that were brought into the lore at third edition were the Necrons. Oh, yeah. These are the oldest faction in the lore. They have been hibernating or, yeah, they've been basically put into stasis for over 60 million years. Holy shit. Um, And these were, just as a spoiler at this stage, the Necrons and their gods, the Catan, were the main enemies of the Old Ones. Right. Mm. And so the Old Ones, uh, if you tie it back to 
uh, I think there's a very good podcast that kind of dips their toe into this kind of from a fantasy perspective called Laying Down the Lore of the Old World. Oh, yeah. Um, Sounds great. They, very astute and insightful. Uh, <laughs> and, but they, and not ridiculous in any way, shape, or form. No, no, not at all. No, very serious. But uh, if you'll recall from the description of the old ones and the Warhammer fantasy world, the old ones were traveling through space uh, and thought the Warhammer world would look like a good outpost. So that if you accept the premise that Warhammer world is a world within 40k, which was mentioned briefly and then kind of discarded by Games Workshop, they were discovered during the kind of war in heaven hmm. between the old ones and the Necrons. Regardless, these are Terminator-style undead robots. It's basically space undead. That's cool. Uh, and they are in the process of emerging from hibernation and reconquering their old territories. Mr. Chris. So it's not conclusive about Warhammer fantasy and 40k necessarily being in the same universe. It's been toyed with that they're perhaps just separated by vast galaxies. Yeah. Uh, are, are there are there some people in the schools that like to think, yeah, they are in the same universe. They're just very, very far apart. Or are there, and are there those that are, nope, they are absolutely completely independent. I think the vast majority of people think that the idea was not particularly good, and um, it was just shelved. didn't add any didn't add any value to the lore or not the game. Okay, and realistically, in official publications, it's only mentioned once and tangentially in Codex Chaos Space Marines in Second Edition for mm. a greater demon called Nakari. Uh, there's mm. a, a, a couple of sentences there, kind of. I think it's more Games Workshop gave a kind of little nod and a wink right, rather than gotcha. they were right. they were they were going yeah, for it in yeah. any meaningful way. Do you think that's what all they were doing and they weren't they had absolutely no intention of fleshing that out? Is there a possibility they were just kind oh, of testing yeah. it in the water to see how the community took it? No, I think I think perhaps it's Yeah, I think it was perhaps a humorous inclusion. All right, okay. Okay. Much like funny cancer. Uh, where? <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! Well, you would, wouldn't you? Ouch! So the other new faction that was brought in were the Tau, which are kind of grey bipedal camels with no hump and a short neck. Um, wow! And sound the opposite of camels to me. So is it like a human camel hybrid sort of jam? Yeah. Jesus. Um, these are a very mecha-based race in terms of making war. They're the most technologically advanced of the races in terms of development time to the kind of efficacy of their weapons. They are a very inclusive race. They offer any enemy the option to join their empire or face destruction. Wow, so, you know, a very cool. kind of noble thing to do. Um, very reasonable. Yeah. So are there are there ranks like on the tabletop made up of other other races in Tau armor then? Uh, there are other races in the Tau army that do have armor that looks similar to Tau. I'm thinking like they've got Vespids, which are these kind of winged insectoid uh, uh, tro uh, troops. 
they have clearly been armed by the Tau and are part of their greater empire, the greater good. Mm. Uh, there are a sub-faction within Tau called the Krut, uh, and these are very interesting. I can't wait to get onto covering these guys because they have aggressive genetic evolution. So they can devour a being and then decide to take on the beneficial traits of that being. Oh, so cool. you, there are croots with wings, croots with multiple legs, this kind of uh, idea, croots with extra senses, uh, all done from devouring an animal or a sentient being even that has these, uh, cool. these traits. There's something kind of covenant-y about it. You know, the covenant from Halo. Yeah. It was a combination of multiple races all fighting under the one yeah, banner. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's that kind of idea, but it's, it, it's one of these ones where it's the Tau kind of pitch it as join us in an army of equals. It's not at all equal. Right. They will mm. mercilessly put down any rebellion in their own ranks so it's very much a kind of roman empire kind of deal if you if you see what it's sold in terms of, yeah, yeah in terms of motivations yeah, yeah. Right. they are the youngest race in terms of their evolution within warhammer uh, within 40k sorry they have existed at a kind of decent technological level for a handful of thousand years Wow. And there, there is a very interesting book from the Black Library. I can't recall the fucking name of it, uh, but it's it set within an inquisitorial outpost where they're dissecting different races. Uh... I think it's called Xenology. They go through the various different alien races, and it's revealed that the Tau may have been manipulated their uh, uh, development, cultural development, manipulated by the Eldar with a little bit of influence from a specific insectoid thing that allows kind of group hive mind, uh, kind of pheromone, um, I was about to say discharge, uh, pheromone <laughs> emitting leaders. Um, That's amazing. But their weaponry is is incredible. They use a lot of drones, a lot of AI-powered drones, who are very self-aware and members of the greater good. They fight in combat suits, big kind of mecha-style jumpsuits. And uh, gradually, as the additions have progressed, their suits have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger until some of them are the size of titans. So they... Cool. They give the Imperium of Man a good run for their money, but they don't travel through the warp. So they have a very localized space empire. Oh, that's interesting. The Do they just not have warp travel technology or do they choose not no, to? No, they, they don't. Have they don't uh, so yeah. the other two uh, major events within the third edition in terms of lore were a refinement of the Inquisition. So we see the inclusion of the demon hunters of Ordo Malice, the Inquisitor's kind of demon force or specialists in demon and chaos incursions. And they brought in the Grey Knights. Every single one of them is a psyker, and we'll call it back to the, the discussion on psychers we had uh, previously. They're all space marines. They are incredibly well armored and armed and are uh, right up there with the Emperor's own bodyguards in terms of access to equipment and skill in battle. 
there is still a chasm between the Grey Knights and the Custodes, which are the Emperor's bodyguards, because they're both technically genetic super warriors, but the bodyguards are better or bigger um, super warriors than the kind of regular space marines. Mr. Ben? This is possibly an annoying, stupid question, but if the Custodes were better Mm -hmm. and the Emperor made them, why didn't he just make all of the Space Marines like that? Oh, it's a great question. I don't have an answer for you. It's not particularly um, well explained in lore other than... I, mean, I think if you look at it logically, you've created genetic super warriors as your elite bodyguard. Do you want the rest of the, your armies to be exactly the same? Because what happens if they rebel? Mm. Your genetic super yeah, warriors yeah. are not are then on par with the traitors, so you want them to be better than. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. And we will we will cover that when we cover the custodies uh, as well. Mm. The other uh, Inquisition style codex was Codex Witch Hunters, which brought in the Inquisitors of Ordo Hereticus, which are the kind of secret police version of the inquisitors uh, but that rolled in the sisters of battle the battle nuns and also expanded the troops of the ecclesiarchy the kind of church troops so you get into things like the penitent engines which are a cross between a lego bionicle a torture chamber and who's the muppet that freaks out grover you know, with the flailing arms. <laughs> but those flailing arms have buzz saws on the end of them. So it's uh, it's very much a, you know, a, a sight to see, certainly. It uh, sounds busy. It's very busy, yeah. <laughs> sounds busy. I would not want to be near that. It's one of those things where you look at it and you go, what's their home life like? Do you know what I mean? It's how you get you. <laughs> how do you get a taxi in that? <laughs> I think I might have caught an image of a penitent engine. Is it a a one-man vehicle, as it was? Yes. And, you, and the guy inside it, or the person inside it, is basically being tortured, and the penitent engine is being fed from his pain and misery. Yeah. Is yeah, that yeah. the concept? Yeah. Yeah, marriage. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the penitent engine. <laughs> if you go outside Darren's house at the moment, there's just four big flailing arms with, with chainsaws attached to the house. <laughs> Do I have to go to the shops? <laughs> so really, those were the major additions to the lore, and they have remained within the uh, body of the Kirk as it moved forward. They've all... Uh, had their lore ex- built on and expanded on. It's important to note at this stage, we're, we're at 3rd edition. There was 19 codexes for 3rd edition. Oh, wow. There was only 10 for 2nd. Now, one of the uh, f- benefits of the 3rd was they were able to fold in sub-faction codexes. So the Eldar, they got the kind of generic codex but then there was like a craft world eldar sub codex which detailed five specific craft worlds and the abilities and and information and background lore for those craft worlds and that's a thread that grows throughout the the development of the game when they release a codec codex how many models would they 
make available for sale per codex. Because I'm guessing the codex are, all, in a way, also a means for them to sell models. Uh, Is that, would that be it, It's an interesting point well made, and it's something that happens in the background. In, I think it was 1992, certainly open to being corrected by listeners, there was a management buyout in Games Workshop. And a chap called, right. his last name is Kirby, I don't recall his first name, took over as the kind of head honcho. And he viewed, I think quite astutely, that these games were a vehicle to sell models. So mm. the game itself is marketing for the sale of miniatures. So they make a vast, vast majority of the money until licensing opportunities opened up. They made the vast majority of the money from the sale of, as Chris would call them, figurines. Figurines, thank you. Figurines, you're welcome. So <laughs> you see this kind of slow expansion of the different troop types, the different vehicles for each faction as the editions progress. From the 5th, 6th mm. edition, you start getting into like centerpiece models. These are kits that cost £65 plus, up to a couple of hundreds if you buy from uh, the Forge World miniature imprint. They have a kind of a separate department within, or a separate company under Games Workshop. Um, but in terms of per codex, the current Space Marine codex is incredibly thick because it's had to include... All you know, hmm. data sheets and details to play all the miniatures that have been made available over the past. I think it covers like four or five editions, so way back to fourth edition. Wow! Right. So it's the issue is as people have collections, like you build a collection for third edition, fourth edition comes along. They really need to add things rather than take them away, because your established player base will get pissed off. And so that that's the catch twenty two in terms of the playing of the game rather than the lore. As we progress, you'll see there's an interesting kind of thing comes up at the transition to eighth edition. But we'll move on. That's third edition, really, in a in a, a relatively medium sized nutshell. But as I said, there is some quite significant lore and faction expansion edition there. But the the main changes were the the game mechanics, how the game was played, how the game was structured. Mr. Chris, you look like you're pissing yourself. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is very much more about Games Workshop and the history of the game. Yeah. Unlike when we started doing the first episodes of Fantasy, it was very much lore and not the game. It yeah. was very much like... This is the setting. This is the world. This is the background. This is the beginning. It was almost story time. And you got to remember, I am an absolute noob. As yeah. Ben explained in the intro, I know less than fuck all about this. <laughs> so when you start talking about like the game and codexes and things like this, I'm, I'm one removed away from the law. I'm 10 times removed away from the game. Do you know what I mean? So I, I am do, yeah. trying my hardest to try and absorb this, try and not disappoint Ben during the next recap. <laughs> I, I think it's not only going to be you. I think it's going to be a great deal of many people because it underlines the sheer amount of resources that Games Workshop pours into 40K. It is their sure. flagship game, and their company has 
effectively built itself over 30 years around that single property. It does other things, mm. of course. There's other games in Age of Sigmar and what have you. But the real focus has been on 40K. And so discussing the business, uh, yeah, you sort of have to, especially when you get into mm. them mm. retooling their uh, production facilities in Nottingham to make these enormous kits. They've got mm. some staggeringly big mm. plastic kits now. Um, but yeah, yeah. Moving on. We're moving on to fourth edition. Fourth edition is 2004. Third edition was 1998. Uh, so a new millennium. Okay, opening my textbook to page. <laughs> so a new millennium and a completely different game. No, not at all. It was almost exactly the same. There was minute changes between third and fourth edition. In terms of lore, you really see the addition of a focus on a new Space Marine chapter called the Black Templars. These are my favorite Space Marines. These are a Teutonic order. So they're very much a kind of Germanic, close combat focused chapter. They despise psychers in all their forms. And they're one of the few chapters that reveres the emperor as a god rather than just their leader. Um, you say they despise psychers, but do they ironically need them in some crucial way, like the rest of the Imperium of Man, boo? Uh, no, they don't have a librarians, as it were. They don't have their mm. own section of psychers, and they ally almost exclusively with, or, or when they ally en masse, it's almost exclusively with the troops of the ecclesiarchy, the kind of the space church, and the space church can't stand psychers. They understand there is some infrastructural need for them on a practical level for a galaxy-spanning uh, civilization, but they will not ever serve with psychers, if at all possible, unless commanded. So like the job of the navigator on a Black Templar's ship must be a shit job. Oh, yeah. He's just yeah, fucking yeah. hated by yeah. everyone there. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fuck. Well, you'll know the experience, then of trying to get the English to accept Scottish money. Mm. <laughs> Legal tender. It's that all the time for that for that navigator. Yeah. Uh. As a side note, Victoria, my wife, this is the first mention of Victoria, made a shop assistant cry by shouting at her to get her to accept Scottish money. Vic had had enough. <laughs> a daily fight when Scottish people bring their money to England. And anyone who's met Vic, and you can kind of get an idea from my personality, it takes a lot to get her wound up. <laughs> yes. But she had had enough. Yes. She is probably the most zen person I've ever known. The only other new addition to the body of lore was the Codex Chaos Demons. They were pulled out of the brackets of the Chaos Space Marines and given their own codex with their own lore. Demonic incursions became a new and exciting way to die in Warhammer 40k. Um, <laughs> but in terms of overall mechanics, overall lore... There wasn't really that much of a change between 3rd and 4th edition. It should be noted, uh, starting actually way back in 3rd edition, that campaigns became a thing. 
like campaign supplements, a a separate book that details a kind of major offensive or a major campaign that people could partake in. So it, it gave it the first kind of real form of narrative gaming outside of the kind of Wild West of first edition. And that allowed people to, you know, someone's army is a personalized thing, but this allowed them then to name their troops. And if a commander Mm. dies, someone gets promoted. And, you know, Mm. there's all this kind of thing, narrative fun you can have in a gaming group. Yeah. Before then, was it just very much kind of one-shot games? You meet up, have a game, bam, done, rinse and repeat. But this was... I'll say like D&D style, there was an objective, there was a story behind it from that point. Was that the idea? That was generally the idea. And that's something that snowballed forward into later editions up to the current edition, which is ninth. They have something called crusade play, which is you start with like 500 points of troops and then you play through games and that gives you resources to buy other troops and, and, and. So you can build your force slowly while still enjoying, you know, legitimate games of 40k. That was 2004. Then we have a uh, fifth edition in 2008. Again, more a mechanical change in terms of how you play the game and methods to play the game. Campaign supplements became more prevalent. There was really just a recycling of the various codexes. Little bits of lore were changed. Not actually all that much, to be honest. The Inquisition faded into the background slightly, but the Grey Knights, which are the demon hunters of 40k, they got their own codex for the first time, and the lore was kind of uh, fleshed out quite a bit for them. But in general, again, just as... Fourth edition had been, fifth edition really was um, mechanical changes. Uh, It got into, some of the campaigns got into ideas like planetary assaults. So your campaign would be based about Mm. firing landing ships and drop pods or teleporting your troops onto the battlefield, seizing civilization important uh, positions, and then working out how to destroy things from there. Very narrative, but again, very focused on gameplay rather than lore. Mr. Chris? Uh, You mentioned teleporting troops onto the battlefield and whatnot. Yeah. In fantasy, the orcs have a move. They use, is it the Hand of Mork or the Hand of Gork? No, Hand of Mork, Foot of Gork, isn't it? Yeah. Where they can teleport. Do they have the same orcish abilities in 40k as they do in in fantasy do you get a hand of mork they have the same abilities but they're technology based so the the orcs have some the bionic hand of mork well the orcs have something (laughs) called uh, a teleporta so t-e-l-l-y-p-o-r-t-a teleporta and so (laughs) but in terms of like drop ships and landing craft the orcs have this thing called a rock, R-O-K-K, or R-O-K, I can't remember. So what it is, is it's an asteroid, or a, a, yeah, an asteroid with engines fitted on one side that they literally just point at a planet and fire it, and it's full of orcs. So it <laughs> smashes into the planet, and the survivors <laughs> of that crash go out and fuck shit up. That's fucking cool. Sometimes That's the amazing. simple ways are the best ways. Yeah. That's why I love the orcs. <laughs> <laughs> you you spoke of like mainly mechanical changes in yes. these editions. Was it were were these mechanical changes attempts to kind of 
add more balance into the gaming experience. It's been a constant struggle for a game of that size to achieve any form of balance. With each kind of edition lasting, at this stage, five to six years, you end up with what's called scale creep or power creep, where Mm. the most recent codex is designed based on all the codexes that came before, all the codices that came before. So it's used to address power issues within those codices. Unfortunately, this means that Mm. the latest one is almost always something that can fuck up all the armies of the previous ones. So as you get to the end of an edition, the next edition then has to try and iron out the kinks from the previous one but you have to keep in mind that there's a growing body a growing number of units and characters and tanks and you know psychic abilities and special abilities for each faction for each edition so Hmm. the sheer scale of the effort to balance this stuff as you move forward I mean, the design studio is massive. They have an enormous number of staff for specifically that reason in terms of writing and rules design. Um, They don't always get it right, but then who does? I sure don't. Not not me or Kral, that's for (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this ship is so dreary and cold. How did I end up on a Black Templar vessel anyway? Oh, I wonder who that is. Hey Darlan, it's Chloe. Hope you're having a nice day and work is going okay. Just wanted to say I'm really looking forward to our date on Saturday. See you then. Oh, that's lovely. I can't wait to see her again. Huh, another message. Ricardo, get your ass down to engineering level 77 and meet me in my office. Double time. Yeesh, that doesn't sound good. You wanted to see me, sir? Get in here, Locarno. High Marshal Helbrick has announced a new campaign and beta quadrant. We set off immediately. Your leave is officially cancelled for the next three years. But, 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 sir, I put this Saturday off quite some time. I don't want to hear it, Locarno. Get your piece of shit psycho ass down in nav department now and do your job! You mutants make me sick. If I could burn all you heretics, I'd steer the ship my damn self. Get out of my office! Oh, tits. Does this sound familiar? Are you the victim of workplace bullying due to your third eye? Are your psycho abilities and constant allegorical horseshit creating uncomfortable working environments for you and your colleagues? If so, we are here to help. The Black Templars Navigators Union is a not-for-profit organisation designed to support navigators in this chapter of Navigator Haters. We offer a 24-hour phone line service so you can discuss your predicament in detail and privacy. Will we be able to help lighten this burden through listening and providing a shoulder to cry on? Absolutely. Will we be able to do anything about your predicament? Absolutely not. You are a Psyker mutant trapped in a ship full of superhuman warriors that hate Psyker mutants. Your only hope for resolution will be the sweet embrace of your own death. The Black Templars Navigators Union. Making a shit situation marginally less shit.
So we move from uh, fifth edition to the uh, logically described sixth edition. Um, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Slow down. <laughs> Where fifth edition had one of the smallest catalog of uh, codices coming in at uh, uh, nine or ten, depending on how you view smaller ones. Sixth edition uh, got into the kind of arena of supplements and other ways to play. They had 12 codices, the big editions. The Inquisition got their own codex for the first time, outside of the third edition, Witch Hunter and Demon Hunters. It was all kind of merged into one. The special forces of the Imperial Guard, the kind of human, the base human army, uh, got their codex. That's the Militarum Tempestus. And these really are like the SAS of the Imperial Guard. We then had uh, a codex for a troop type that was in the very first White Dwarf I ever bought, which is White Dwarf number 99. And that's the Legion of the Damned. These are... Good, in, again, in quotes, space marine demons. What? These are burning spirits clad in space marine armor. The armor has the iconography of uh, skulls, bones, and fire. And they very literally teleport into, they uh, manifest rather than teleport into a dire situation for an important event to the Imperium, wholesale fucks you up and then disappear. Wow. At this stage in 6th edition, there were a number of kind of origin stories from them. I still prefer the first one, which is they were a a chapter of um, Space Marines called the Firehawks that disappeared into the warp and were effectively well they were infected by a plague and because they were reduced in such numbers they took their guidance from the emperor's tarot the imperial tarot which allowed them to perform the will of the emperor but they're effectively uh well they're effectively space marine demons so cool that's fucking cool that's how you would think of them that's not how they play on the tabletop, please don't fucking email me about any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the last new edition, and this really is where GW kicks it up a notch, are the Imperial Knights. These are the mecha. These are the high Gothic mecha of the Imperium of Man. So these are the walking tanks, first introduced as minor foot troops in Adeptus Titanicus and the epic gaming system. So it wasn't in first edition, but it was in second edition. These are things that tower above ordinary troops. I think they cost now something like 95 to 100 pounds each to buy. On average, you need five for an army to get up to kind of competitive game size. But it added in the heraldic Arthurian style Robots. Uh, context for ro- for these robots. They're not robots, they're piloted. Uh, so, um, Are they in Terminator armor? No, these are actual walking tanks. They're mini titans, basically. Oh, wow, right, fuck. 
That's cool. They were originally brought in as part of the kind of epic gaming system, the mini-minis. So they're developed from herding mecha and kind of lumberjack mecha, which were then armed and armored up and created these kind of knights of both that's wicked metaphorically physically and emotionally <laughs> um <laughs> the sixth edition also brought in the codex supplements brought that really sharply into focus where they would take one sub faction from a given faction for instance chaos space marine had two sub factions kind of explored in separate supplements one was the black legion that's Horus's own legion from the Horus Heresy, now under the command of, uh, well, it's splintered. It's under command of various warlords. The most preeminent is Abaddon the Despoiler, first introduced in second edition. Um, and he just spoils everything. No, he unspoils everything. No, he's the despoiler. He's the despoiler. <laughs> I don't think that means what you think it means. Um <laughs> But there, there was a supplement for a handful of codexes, and it really it was mostly lore. There was very little kind of game rules in each one, but there were like 48 to 96 pages in length, chock full of inf interesting information. Um, so there was an Eldar one, a Tau one, and a couple of Space Marine ones as well. But in general, again, it was Imperial Knights, the Inquisition, the Legion of the Damned, and the the Imperial Guard special forces, the Militarum Tempestis that were brought in with, you know, a wagon load of lore for each. This really then, in terms of, Crystal loved this, this was around the time when uh, Mr. Kirby, who was the one who was focused on selling miniatures, exited the company. So the transition to 7th edition. About time. About time. <laughs> Talk about overstaying your welcome. He had a quite famously documented position. He didn't believe anyone actually played the games. He believed that almost all of their sales were to collectors and painters. Wow. Really? So, Was he just in denial? Um, I don't know. I think so. I mean, people more familiar with the situation could comment on it. But when he left, he there was a chap called Roundtree that came in who believed that they're... Not the Roundtree. Yes. <laughs> As in the, the sweet guy. Yeah, he's pretty sweet, actually, yeah, given the, what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> so we went, we went from, with 7th edition, which is in 2014, which is a year before the old world was destroyed, or sorry, a year after, I can't recall, uh, there was an explosion of publications about the game and about the lore and the different ways to actually play the game. You went from having really one kind of starter set to having four through the life of the product, four box sets. Initially, there was a starter set, and then they got into this thing called a battle box, which was a select force from each side, plus the basic rules, plus a little small mini campaign. Effectively ah, a starter cool. set as it goes on. So they went from 6th edition having 12 codexes, codices, to 7th edition having 21. Some of them wow. were variation on a theme. We, we, we shouldn't kid ourselves. But we saw the reintroduction of Eldar Harlequins, space clowns, uh, the space jesters. <laughs> 
We saw the uh, bloodthirsty troops of Corn get a new look in with the Corn Demon Kin. So that was Chaos Space Marines dedicated to the Chaos God Corn, who is the god of war. Guess what they're good at? That's right, knitting. The uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus get their real kind of first proper codex with the Skitari codex, which sounds like something I've experienced recently after a dodgy curry. Um, <laughs> we then get into the Gene Stealer cult. What are the Skitari other than shitty? The Skitari are the... The, the cyborg troops, the cyborg foot troops of the Adeptus Mechanicus. So they're the main uh, military oh, right. force of the Mechanicus at that scale, from skirmishes to kind of taking cities, this kind of idea. There's regiments, really, right, right, of, right. of Skitari. There are a number of releases covering different aspects of the Imperium in terms of expansion. I should say, I, I should have said this at the start, what I'm picking on are the new things. There is still Codex Dark Eldar, Codex Space Marine, Codex Eldar, Codex Tau. All of these things still exist and are being produced. I'm just merely pointing out the new additions in the various... Um, or new ad- additions to the editions, yes. Are there some instances then when a new edition comes out and the co- there's no change to a codex and they just re-release it as part of that new edition re-release? If you were to elect to die on that hill, there would be a lot of people standing next to you from 8th to 9th. Right. Prior to that, there were some decent changes, yeah. Although right, right, right. third to fourth, you could take a view as to whether that was a substantive change. Like, for instance, there's been a couple of ninth edition codexes where the release only included one new model. Right. So you had a codex that covered everything physical that had been released previously, and you got one additional special character. <laughs> yeah. People take a view on whether that's good or bad. So, seventh, yes, seventh edition, there was a, a, an explosion of new lore or exploration of existing lore for the Imperium. You had the Death Watch, which are specialized space marine organizations, not a chapter, that focuses on the eradication of alien life, of Xenos. These are effectively kill teams, they're murder squads. They go in, they do what they need to do. Most of it involves shooting, some stabbing, some grenading, and then they leave. Um, <laughs> but they're focused almost exclusively on the destruction of Xenos. So they're tapped most often by the Inquisition from Ordo Xenos to go off and take care of business. So really, those are the kind of... They fall into the three specialist troop organizations used most often by the Inquisition. You have uh, the Death Watch for Ordo Xenos, you have the Sisters of Battle for Ordo Hereticus, and you have the Grey Knights for Ordo Malus or Ordo Malus. Two of those are Space Marines, one of them is the Sisters of Battle. We've discussed previously, they're pretty much just female Space Marines. Nice. So that's the Death Watch. You then had a look at Imperial Agents. So these are Inquisitors, Astropaths, Assassins. These are the important 
military assets that appear from time to time. This really wasn't a cohesive force. It's something that it's like a special character you would add to an existing imperial army. But again, it came with a bucket load of lore. It was a really interesting read. Speaking of the interesting imperial aspects, you then had another two codices, which were the Adeptus Custodes, which are the emperor's bodyguards. So these are the ones that are clad in gold. And famously, this is the army that uh, Henry Cavill has. That he he showed a picture of him painting uh, custodies on Instagram, I think, a few years back, and that's what when everyone had a hobby gasm over him. <laughs> it's, it, the custodies army must be relatively small in relation to like a standard space marine army because they are they point wise are they yes. higher than than a standard space marine? They're equivalent to a kind of minor hero. Uh, each one is a minor hero right. uh, in terms of stats and access to equipment. So uh, a 3,000 point army, you'd have less than 40 miniatures. So you could, you, you know, right, and right, a, a 2,000 point army, you could get away with spending maybe 100, 120 pounds. It's the cheapest army to buy in terms of, of model So what counts. you're saying is Henry Cavill's a bit of a cheapskate. Or he loves the kind of elite and believes the emperor should be protected, Ben. Uh, I'm sorry you don't agree. (laughs) Oh, well, there you go. The final kind of imperial codex were the Sisters of Silence. So these are the the soulless women of the emperor's witch hunters. These are what's referred to as pariahs. They are beings that are born without a soul. Everyone feels uncomfortable in their presence except are the pariahs, and they've militarized this. These are the troops and crew of the black ships. These are the ones that go in, capture enemy psychers, and bring them back to Terra, to the planet Earth, to be able to be processed through the various institutions into useful psychers or food for the emperor or fuel for the Astronomicon. Why are the pariahs used to capture psychers? Uh, because they nullify any psychic power within a unique distance per pariah. So uh, effectively, Uh, they're a carbon rod for psychic power. You can't cast spells uh, or Uh, you can't manifest psychic powers. If I used cast spells, I'd get lynched. You can't manifest psychic (laughs) powers around a pariah without having harmful... It either fails or you, you get a kind of negative impact on your person. So these are the elite witch wow. hunter troops. These are the ones sent in when an alpha level psyker goes mental. Uh, they're also the ones used to capture uh, psychers on a battlefield. Interestingly, nice. they use things called psych-out rounds. These are effectively small little rockets that fit in their bolter guns. And... These uh, psych-out rounds, also used by the Grey Knights, they're manufactured with the dust that's left over when a psyker is sucked dry by the Emperor. Whoa. It's a nullifying psychic agent when processed, so it's used to target enemy psychers, demons, and in the game, it ignores invulnerable saves, so it ignores kind of power shields and psychic shields that kind of idea it, it's also used in grenades Holy as shit. well there are psychic grenades mr chris 
Um, is there a collective of like rebel psychers that are fighting for their own existence, fighting against the Imperium of Man? Or are they kind of a scattered renegade group of people with no kind of collective, no single kind of objective, no single leader or anything like that? Or are they their own faction? Uh, there is not a faction of psychic users, of alpha-level psychers. What you find is they go insane from effectively hearing the voices of the warp. One of the benefits mm. of being soul-bound to the Emperor, we discussed that process in very kind of high-level detail, is that you're effectively immune from the day-to-day -day kind of scrabblings and whisperings of the warp if demons are trying to get into you. When you manifest a power, you open yourself up to that possibility, but you gain mm. an enormous amount of protection from being soul-bonded to the Emperor himself. So the alpha-level psychers who don't have that are constantly under attack. They're constantly hearing things at the edge of their senses, feeling kind of prickles up and down their back. And that sensation is, in fact, a demon trying to claw their way into our reality through their psyche. Jesus. It doesn't leave a lot of time for organizing. <laughs> sure. But, but invariably what happens is an alpha level psycho will either go insane and thus be useless uh, and just a force of destruction, or they'll dedicate themselves to a chaos power or an organization that has access to some psychic nullifying apparatus. Mm, uh, right, like a release. Yeah. It's like having... Uh, walking nuclear reactors that's that's really what uh, alpha level psychers Blimey. are in in terms of their capacity for devastation sure um, um i was just gonna ask the powers of these psychers is it kind of a one you psionic blast mind melting thing or can they again we were comparing it to magic users in fantasy for example but magic users can cast ice and fire-based spells and that kind of thing are psychers really just, they use psychic energy in one form and then that is it? Um, Do they have a variety of different abilities? And There, there is a variety. There's a number of psychic disciplines, uh, such as telepathy, telekinesis, biomancy, pyromancy, and what the fuck is the other one? Divination. Uh, so those are the kind of five biggies. Uh, but each specialized psychic group whether it's the psychic librarians of the uh, space marines or the psychers of the Inquisition or the astropaths, that kind of idea, they have access to their own variations of those psychic disciplines. So there are uh, multiple disciplines and within each discipline, multiple types of psychic ability that can be used. Different elemental type of psychic. So exactly right. Divination, yeah. Yeah. radiant, style, Bernie Bernie. That kind of thing. Lighty, yeah. lighty. <laughs> lighty, lighty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is actually, there's a psychic power called Scorchio. <laughs> I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, Said no. by a Spanish man. <laughs> it's not called that, but that's effectively what it is. Um, <laughs> the last kind of real exploration of pre-established lore, but it's a kind of a lore that wasn't really worked out in any real kind of way outside of rogue trader outside of first edition were the gene stealer cults so these are 
human cultists that have been infected by the gene stealers, which if you'll recall from last episode... Yeah, Space Hulk. Exactly right. They're the, the Xenos-style forms, life Xenos life forms from Space Hulk. Um, it lays a genetic egg in you through its mouth. It's got what's called an oviposter, which is a little kind of spike that comes out of its mouth, much like the xenomorph in Alien. But instead of bursting uh, out of you, it infects your reproductive organs so that when you give birth, you give birth to this kind of gene stealer hybrid, which looks like a cross between a gene stealer and a person. And then the next generation and the next generation, um, it carries on through four generations. The fourth generation then looks human, but has some small ridges on its forehead. But these infiltrate established communities, cities, and planets, corrupting these organizations until such a time where the initial gene stealer, the initial organism that infected the world, judges that they have infected it enough and they've compromised it enough, and it sends out a psychic signal and draws a Tyranid hive fleet towards the planet, and thus the planet is then utterly consumed. So it it's a wow. it's it's a long game plan way of taking over a planet and reducing any form of resistance that you might meet. That's amazing. So those really were the big codex editions for the seventh edition. Again, there was lots of supplements were brought in, including one for my favorite, the Homunculus Covens, the Cenobites of the Dark Eldar. But you're looking at ten codex supplements. Campaigns, they lost their fucking mind. There were so many campaigns played during 7th edition purely because it was realized that people enjoy playing the games. They're not only collectors. So you had... <laughs> take that, Kirby. <laughs> take that, Kirby. So you had like seven multi-book campaigns during 7th edition, culminating in... Two kind of uh, big ones. The one was Warzone Fenris. Fenris is the homeworld of the Space Wolves. This saw the return of uh, Magnus the Red, who is a demon prince and a Primarch, one of the genetic sons of the Emperor from the Horus Heresy. Nine such Primarchs fell to chaos. Magnus was one of them, arguably the most ineffectual and petulant. But as the internet says, he did nothing wrong. The road to hell paved with good intentions and all that. But it's a staggering figure. It's enormous. It's the size of an imperial knight, this winged demon prince who leads an entire legion of chaos space marines. Returned. Which legion was he originally part of? The Thousand Sons. He was the primarch uh, ah. and leader of the Thousand Sun Legion who's trying to destroy Fenris, the homeworld of Space Wolves, because during the Horus Heresy, the Space Wolves destroyed his world. And Lehman Russ, who was the Primarch of the Space Wolves, his genetic brother, basically, how would you describe it? He did a Bane move. He broke Magnus's back over his knee uh, at the... Oh, by the way, spoilers. Uh, at the end of the... Uh, <laughs> 
that battle. So that was kind of a big revelation in terms of both lore, well, especially lore, but also gameplay, because it opened up these huge centerpiece models now for generalship and for what's called the Lords of War. You then had something called the Gathering Storm, which brought in the return of the Primarch of the Ultramarines, the amusingly called Robuti Guliman. Pause for laughter. <laughs> Is that actually how I thought it was robot? Like like a rat like like a frog. Robot Gilmer. No, it's it's Robuti Guliman. Everyone calls him Robot because <laughs> it's funny. Um <laughs> so now you had in terms of the lore, you had two immensely powerful beings return to the tabletop and return to the active kind of interaction within the setting after ten thousand years. Nice. And that really, at the close of the seventh, this is where I think we discussed with Warhammer Fantasy, there was issues uh, with people thinking that Warhammer Fantasy was a narrative rather than a setting. The setting being it's a place where these stories are told, the narrative being the entire place progresses as you know, as the real world progresses. So at the close of the 7th edition and opening of the 8th edition, we went from it being a setting to a narrative. The galaxy underwent an enormous amount of change and it was effectively split in two, or as I like to say, cleft in twain. (laughs) So if you were looking at a map of the galaxy, there was a, a chaos portal at one end called the Eye of Terror, It's more than that, obviously. We'll discuss about that when we cover it. And then there was a huge diagonal line ending in another small little chaos portal at the opposite end of the galaxy. And it effectively just was a psychic and chaotic wall right through the middle of the galaxy. With the heart of the galaxy, I've now said galaxy too many times. It sounds weird. Uh, With the heart of the galaxy, now just a, a black hole of chaos. And that's called the Great Rift. There's a number of reasons why it may have happened, but it seems to be initiated by Abaddon the Despoiler. He really spoiled this one, Ben. I don't think he despoiled <laughs> anything. And so the and there's no respoiling. As of the eighth edition, the Imperium of Man is cut in two. So you have the Imperium and you have yeah. the Dark Imperium. Interestingly. There is a number of very significant lore bumps and lore addition additions brought in in 8th. 8th, in my mind, is the most exciting addition that came about. I think that the from the lore overload of 7th into 8th, I thought it, the 8th resolved a lot of the things in 7th lore-wise that I was quite pleased with and brought it to be uh, kind of exciting to read. So in terms of new additions, new codexes, we're looking at the Adeptus Mechanicus now get a full-blown codex. It's not just their kind of infantry regiment. You have access to various robot servitors, flying vehicles, as I like to call them, aircraft, and other things um, (laughs) added in. Uh, It explores the different forge worlds, these planet-sized factories, and how they produce stuff and what they produce and how to play a force from each different one. You're then looking at really two, three new chaos codices. Both the Thousand Sons of 
of Magnus get their own codex for the first time. Uh, they get a solid big bump of various new types of troops, types of demons. Uh, the greater demon kits are bigger now, so you get more impressive demons on the table and, of course, Magnus. As part of the opening of the 8th edition in terms of lore, Magnus's chaotic brother Mortarion, who is the Primarch of the Death Guard, joins him in kind of in our reality again. So you've now got two lost sons of the Emperor, as in fallen sons of the Emperor, are now back in the kind of lore fucking shit up. Amazing. There's about to be a third, actually, and we'll cover that in ninth. So that's the the Death Guard are corrupted by disease. So they're like the plague bringers of the uh, chaotic world. Guess which god they follow? Slanesh. What, what, which? <laughs> Come on, the god of disease. Ben, come on, I was joking, mate. Jesus. Oh, Nurgle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not hear that part. Yeah, Nurgle. Yeah, so Nurgle has his foot troops, has his Space Marine Legion now out in the worlds, infecting things and trying to create as many chaos portals as possible. The final kind of chaotic codex, the main kind of codex, is the Chaos Knights. You'll recall in 5th edition that knights, Imperial Knights, were uh, the giant walking robots. There are now Chaos versions of those with their own models. It's not just a, a reskinning of existing models. They have their own Chaotic forces. It's also interesting at this stage, the number of smaller forces that come into play. So you're looking at games like Kill Team, where you're able to, instead of playing an army on a big table, you play a, a, like a special forces squad. And so there are a number of smaller kind of codices that are released to cover them, but they're all sub-factions of existing factions. But they, some of them are interesting. There's the Geller Pox Infected. So this is the crew of a spaceship infected by a techno-virus by Nurgle. So it's... Uh, <sighs> If anyone's watched the Japanese live-action version of Hard Boiled, you'll get an idea of what that what that looks like. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But the biggest change by far in 8th, and it's the most significant change, was a new type of space marine was brought into existence or was revealed to have been in development for 10,000 years. So at the close of the Horus Heresy... Robuti Guliman, or Robot Girly Man, as he's referred to in some aspects of the internet, <laughs> um, is he commanded, you know, a significant mind within the Adeptus Mechanicus to create an improved space marine. And to do so, he gave him, he gave Belisarius Call, was the name of the Adeptus Mechanicus guy, gave him the genetic blueprints or part of the genetic blueprints that were used by the emperor to create the primarchs. And so using that, he was able to create tens of thousands, arguably hundreds, the lore keeps changing, uh, hundreds of thousands of new space marines, which tower above the existing space marines. These are the primaris space marines. And these were the ones that appeared in the box set for 8th edition it really split the community where the existing space marines now called firstborn all people had was firstborn space marine armies well the ones that played space marines had firstborn space marine armies 
with this new Primaris, there was a great concern they were going to stop production of the existing Space Marine miniatures. And so there's a constant kind of flooding of the Space Marine market, in quotes, of Primaris. Games Workshop does not produce new firstborn units outside of collector's pieces. They only produce Primaris Space Marines. And we'll cover that when we cover Space Marines, but... Controversial. Controversial. Effectively, what happened was, after the Great Rift opened, Robo... uh, Now I'm calling them Robo, fuck's sake. uh, (laughs) Robote led what's called the Indomitus Crusade. So, brought out these tens of thousands of new Space Marines and kind of snowplowed his way to try and bring peace to one half of the Imperium and then tried to cross over into the Dark Imperium to be able to bring peace to that. He was partially successful, although he did get across as well. Not all Space Marine chapters in the lore have welcomed the new additions with open arms, but they have to admit that, you know, for instance, with the Blood Angels, there are Primaris Space Marines built from the blood and genetic stock of pre-Horus Heresy Blood Angels. So there is this kind of veneration of Primaris Space Marines in some quarters because some of them did in fact exist. Some of them were alive during the Horus Heresy. So you have heroes of legend returning to present day or being revealed to still exist in present day. Wow. There's a method in the lore where a firstborn space marine, an everyday space marine, can be turned into a Primaris space marine. It's called crossing the Rubicon Primaris, and a number of significant space marine heroes have done that. But that is, does that involve them going through some sort of operation? Then yes, yeah, yeah, a significant amount them, of right? physical surgical procedures. There is an, I was about to say psychic, I think it's like hypnotherapy, and not everyone who attempts it survives it. So Jesus. more and more, creating new space marines is done in the Primaris method rather than the firstborn method, because so you it can be that- done very, very quickly, as opposed to taking the entire adolescent development of a human male to, be, to make a new space marine. Gotcha. Are you saying that there was Primaris alive during, that they existed during the heresy? The space marines that became Primaris space marines, there's only a handful of them, but they were turned into Primaris space marines. Uh, So they existed as regular firstborn, but were turned into Primaris. Uh, But this has been done in some uh, kind of secret labs aboard Belisarius Call's ship. Over, it's taken them 10,000 years to perfect it. Right, I see, I see, I see. I mean, they're churning them out. And it's really, if you recall from first to second edition in the lore, the existence of the Imperium became hopeless. The kind of grim, dark, you're all fucked mm. kind of attitude. With the eighth edition, that's not entirely now the case. There is some level of hope, although the situation they're facing is much worse. So 8th edition brought around some real revelatory changes, and that culminated in a campaign called the Psychic Awakening. It was a series, it was a campaign that was spread across nine books, and each book 
revealed the impact of humanity's kind of psychic growth and what it meant to individual cultures and individual factions. As the series progressed, there was a number of new characters, new troop types were made available in plastic, either brand new or units that had been available in metal and resin brought into plastic. And then that really closed out 8th edition. It was the, the single largest change in the lore since moving from 1st to 2nd edition. Ninth edition, which is the current edition, and we'll be uh, seeing that close out, I think, in the next two years. So it started in 2020. Really, the only real kind of lore changes were the addition of the Leagues of Votan, which saw the Squats return for the first time nice. in 30 years. The Kinder Eggs. The Kinder Eggs are back. Um, <laughs> again, this edition follows the same kind of model where there's a big focus on campaign supplements and, or sorry, codex supplements and campaigns and narrative play. And they've just announced and are about to release something called the Arcs of Omen, which is, I think, where we'll see an evil version of the Adeptus Mechanicus emerge, the Dark Mechanicum. So it's the Adeptus or the Adept, yeah, the Adeptus Mechanicus that sided with Horus during the Horus Heresy. What has become of them? What they've turned into? That's what will be explored in that Amazing. campaign. I'm not entirely sure that that will be the closeout of Ninth uh, Edition because they've pretty much run the gamut in terms of factions to release codexes for. But um, the new Corn Codex will be out, the World Eater Legion, uh, which will see another Primarch, another fallen son of the Emperor come about. That'll be Angron, the Primarch of the Corn worshipping world eaters sounds very zen sounds very zen like doesn't he angron yeah there's some rumors that we'll see another good primarch come out within the next few years but uh yeah aren't there quite a lot of primarch figures available though yes but that's for the horus heresy that's for ah, ten thousand years ago this is where i keep getting confused <laughs> Given the state of Kral's face, he just looks completely polaxed. I think that's a good place to draw a veil. Well, basically, I've done the job. There's nothing else to uh, I have to communicate in terms of the growth of the lore through the editions. But yeah. So anyway, over that really simplified uh, summary, thoughts? Kral, what was your favorite edition? <laughs> um, <coughs> let me just uh, <coughs> warm up. <laughs> it had to be edition number six. <laughs> well, the jokes on you. There wasn't an edition number six. You weren't paying attention. It's uh, quite amazing the evolution of the game over over that period. I mean, again, as someone who um, you know thoroughly enjoys lore and sci-fi and that not, but really. I've not even touched the tabletop gaming. It feels like that was very much a lot that happened there. It was it was aimed at the tabletop game, wasn't it? The law kind of span out of that from that, the changes that they made, but the core of it, the focus was the driver with the rules to the games and things like that and expanding the tabletop game. I, I think that the rules are, uh, the additions are the vehicle by which they update the game and therefore 
have an opportunity to update the lore. Mm. Uh, I think they've realized that that's what hooks people when they come to have, you know, you come for the miniatures, you stay for the lore. Yeah. You stay for the narrative. Mm. You sure. stay for the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. fun in the games. Yeah. I think the difficulty yeah. is they have so many individual products. Mm. How do you keep that going? Yeah. I mean, when 8th edition, when 8th edition was released, there was no 8th edition codices. There was no army books for 8th edition immediately available. What they did was they produced five big, thick pseudo army books that held the how to play for every single character, troop type and vehicle in the game uh, at that point. These were the indexes, the indices. Mm, uh, mm. So the the Imperium had two, Chaos had one, and all the Xenos forces were clubbed together within mm. two. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a real challenge. You know, you can understand the company's desire to streamline, but anything they cut, mm. they're going to have you know fans who are pissed off. Yeah. But yeah, the additions are you know constantly updating the game, and the game is why people buy the miniatures sure sure yeah yeah Mm -hmm. as much as i love the law it wouldn't be anything without the tabletop rules so yeah you've got to it's got to be done i mean just just an example second edition had 10 codexes what eighth edition had 30 blimey (sighs) yeah yeah it's quite an expansion isn't it and and all of that had lore yeah that's quite a uh chonky update isn't it that must be like 130 gig or something yeah 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 that's an afternoon of downloading (laughs) (laughs) with regards to the horus heresy i know that what we're talking about is 40k but the the series of books about the heresy yeah yeah like when did they start releasing oh jesus you've caught me on the off foot mid 2000s like 2004 2005 so there were several several editions in by that point oh actually i think it's it must be in line with seventh edition because they use seventh edition rules in the game and 7.5 really i suppose is what uh what it's called yeah so i think it's like the the early 2010s right okay cool Crowley, what um of all the races that we've heard, which which one are you most pumped about to get to know more? I'm intrigued about the psychers. I didn't even know psychers existed before we started this show. So it's kind of given it a whole new dimension to me. My grasp of 40k is very much Just to clarify, they don't exist in the real world. They don't exist in the real world. No, just 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 to manage okay. your expectations. Hang on, they're not real. Yuri Geller would kick the shit out of you, and he wouldn't even touch you. <laughs> yeah, the Yuri Geller field. Are you saying in this world that you and I are in, Ben? Yes, in the, <laughs> okay. the, this right. is the All one right. that yeah, we. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, one yeah. that we call the real world. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the existence of psychers in 40k, no idea, and yeah. it kind of adds a f- another thread to again my noobish, naive grasp. Of 40k is space marines, big mechanical robots, uh, space orcs, your classic kind of good and bad. Yeah, exactly. Makeup of units. And then you've got the psychers who are kind of like an underlay of law that are really kind of the backbone of a, you know, they are allowing the Imperium of Man to exist, yet they are also despised as well. Yeah, and they also fuck a lot of stuff up. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. So they're intriguing me the most. Yeah, Psychers is really just 
the 40k version of magic users so a lot sure. of races and factions have access to you know a character or a unit that can manifest psychic powers or psychic like powers i mean the orcs are hilarious because it's we've covered the orcs in the fantasy podcast it's exactly the same the more orcs you get together the more wa is available wa power hmm. used by what's referred to as the weird boys <laughs> Who, interestingly, nice. I, I just think this is as a reward for, uh, or reward for Kral for having to sit there and listen to me talk for an hour and a half. It's a joy, Darren. There's uh, the Earth the Wah power with a copper rod. They just jab a copper rod into the ground. And if they don't do it, their heads explode. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. it's a good job I inserted this copper rod into the earth. It's a good job I earthed myself. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, I, I'm pumped about the Tau, man. I really want yes. to know more about yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, sound, yeah. they sound kind of like kind of communist sort of approach, you know, as like come into our fold and fall in line mm. or die. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, outside the psychers, the Tau sound absolutely awesome. I'm disappointed in both of you, but I love you nonetheless. Why? <laughs> Are you not a fan of the Tao then? I can't. I can't stand the Tao. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, they just—it's quite an interesting addition. Like all of the other races, kind of—I don't know. There's almost something that you—they kind of seem not obvious, but you kind of expect them. They make a lot of sense there. Whereas the yeah. Tao, that whole kind of like inclusive expansion model is totally unique. There's no one else. Mm. I think, it's, it's, I think, it's either you're us or you're exterminated. That seems to be the mindset of all the other races in 40k. Is that right? I, th- I think really, I suppose I'm being unfair. They're young and they're optimistic. I'm 50. That's why I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Touché. <laughs> and that makes total sense. <laughs> but also the, um, the Grey Knights, man. The, the Demon the Hunters. Demon Hunters. Yeah. Those guys seem like next level i think i was getting mixed up when you were talking about the knights because they're the kind of mecha yeah jobbies it's the gray knights are in terminator armor aren't they like big yeah big yeah dudes. well they 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 originally occurred in terminator armor only but there are no power armored versions uh, of the gray uh... knights including uh, you'll be pleased, uh, Chris. They have uh, short-range teleportation backpacks that allows them to catch people off guard. Zip, zip. Nice. Uh, what are the faction or the units uh, in Terminator armor, but with walrus tusks? Oh, those are the Chaos Terminators. They look so. Cool. They are term- Terminators, oh. but yeah, as you say, they've got tusks. They can gore you. <laughs> when they first came out in that kind of look. There was, I think it's the heavy weapon guy, had enormous mammoth tusks. There was yeah. no fucking way he could have turned, turned his, his head, head without <laughs> clanking into his gun or chopping off one of the tusks <laughs> with his sword. Uh, but it, it, it looked cool. But it looked cool, yeah. They do look rad, but yeah, not very practical. So where are we going next month? I think the next episode we are going... We'll cover up to 15th edition. 15th edition. Yay. Yeah. Uh, oh, Christ, can you imagine? Um, next month we'll start the first of a kind of five-part exploration of the basic information about the Imperium of Man. Amazing. 
the next episode will be its history and then we'll follow it up with the kind of institutions and you know uh, organizations and armies and military forces and that kind of thing and how it interacts and how it operates but again it's still going to be high level stuff it'll all be delved into in much much deeper detail in the coming decades Jesus Christ, I've just realized the scope of this fucking thing. <laughs> what have we signed up for? Yeah. God. Right, shall I wrap up? Yeah, man. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. And we also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lower 40k and sign up today for as little as £3. This will also give you access to our Discord server so you can come and tell us exactly what you think of us directly. We'll be back soon displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, cheerio. See you later. Thank God that bit's over. <laughs>